The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be, bold, be brave, be and be brave. fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. kick things off with a, a discussion around the state of our industry. It's an unscripted, informal discussion. Seema's going to lead it, and I'm going to welcome Katie, Ryan, Steve, and Armin to the stage to get us started. So welcome, everybody, and we're looking forward to a really great couple of days. Okay, no pressure. We're unscripted. Nobody has any idea what we're talking about. No, I'm just joking. Before we start, I thought each of us could just give our, uh, a small intro as to who we are and what you do. Ryan. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm the president at Zappi. I oversee our commercial operations, our operations, and product and engineering groups. Steve. Steve Schlesinger, CEO of Schlesinger Group, mostly focused on strategy, acquisitions, <coughs> developing the business for the future. Armin? Hi everyone, my name is Armin Ajamian. I am a co-founder and CEO of Disco, mostly involved with strategy and go-to-market. And I'm Katie Gross, Chief Customer Officer at Suzy. I oversee the sales, customer success, and our full-service center of excellence team. And I'm Seema Vasa, I'm the co-founder of Paradigm Sample. I'm also CEO of Infinity Squared Ventures, and I also do investment banking through Oberon Securities. So, let's talk about talent. The war on talent, we're all struggling with it. We're all trying to figure out how to acquire talent, hire talent, and also retain talent. What are some of the challenges that you guys see in doing that today? Want to go first, Steve? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a passion point for you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, exactly. Thank God for the cocktails. This, this will get more fun as the cocktails. By the cocktails way, this is, supposed, this is supposed to like mirror a conversation at cocktail hour. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Hence the exactly. cocktails. Exactly. So, so, Ted, we're going to need another drink. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting started. Yeah, so I mean, listen, I think that, you know, you'll hear a lot of conversations, you know, today, tomorrow, and probably have for a while and will for a while around technology and automation and so many wonderful things. But at the end of the day, it's the talent that really mm -hmm. generates the value of the business and helps the business uh, move forward. You know, look, it's a challenge. I mean, there's a lot of, um, we're all hiring for the most part. We're all looking to find the people with experiences you know, it's a, I think you have to be more creative than you've mm -hmm. ever been in terms of how to attract people in. You know, one of the things we look at, you know, pretty regularly is acquisitions as a form of hiring. The way to get talent, people who can complement our business and, you know, and use that as a tool as well. But, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting today is really around the fact that there's a lot of money in our industry. Believe yeah. it or not, there's a lot of venture money. There's a lot of investment coming in. And with that get, becomes a lot of excitement, but the excitement also creates higher salaries, mm -hmm. bigger compensation programs, different ways of looking at how you compensate people. And I actually think it's a good thing because I think it, it forces creativity and it makes us all think harder about what talent is really important for us to, to drive, you know, sort of the next chapter of the business. Katie, what do you think? 
Yeah, we have hired, um, I joined Susie about two years ago almost. I was number 67 and we're now 300. And so hiring has been almost like a full-time job for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is we need people with experience, but we also need people with a different point of view because mm -hmm. if you hire the people who've always done it, we're going to build a product and a solution that is the way everyone's always done it. So we've tried to also look outside the box and look at some industries that are kind of similar. Um, we've, Especially on the engineering team, we have some people who've joined us from Ticketmaster, for example. Mm -hmm. We just had an astrophysicist join us a couple of weeks ago That's on the engineering team yeah. as well to try and get lots of different experiences. And on my services side of the, the house, people from ad agencies, media agencies, and so on, to so try to get a blend of talent to, mm -hmm. to get creative. What but about different populations? Like we, we, right, there's groups that we all know are tried and proven, but there's groups that still struggle to, like you and I've talked about it, like mm -hmm. I don't know how parents raise children and work. Like is there any creative solutioning around that? Yeah, I think it's about, well, working from home, I think it's really helped. Yes. Females in the workplace, yep. I have a significant amount of mothers and new mothers. Um, yep in my team as well. I think for the first time, and actually two of the, the females who recently went on maternity leave said to me, I didn't see a way I could go on maternity leave in the past yeah. and still sell and still travel, et cetera. And I think because of the kind of halt on client um, facing travel, mm -hmm. they were able to see a path to motherhood mm -hmm. um, that maybe they didn't see mm -hmm. in the past. And likewise, a lot of the females in my team have said their husbands have been able to really step in because they're not commuting right. and traveling as well. Yeah. So it's been a much more um, balanced kind of at yeah. home at home life, but I praise all the parents in the room. I do not have children and don't envy <laughs> the parents. Armin. I have three. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, three, and they're all young. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely, I think, uh, personally. How old's your oldest? 12, 10, and three. Wow. So definitely COVID was an interesting experience, uh, right? I think at least the early parts of COVID when I was home. Then I left the house because nothing, I wouldn't get anything done. All three kids were home and, and we had work to do. So it was definitely for me, it was tough. But I think when I talk to a lot of our team and our people, the flexibility to really be able to be wherever mm -hmm. has made a big difference in their lives, mm -hmm. right? So, and we've really embraced, I think we were, we've been people centric from like, and people, we were highly motivated by building the best team because we believe that at the end of the day, long-term, you win if you have the best team. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then you don't win, or you don't win as much, or as big. So we've been very people-centric across time, and at the same time, I think being able to hire remotely gave us that much more ability to hire faster. Mm -hmm. hire Armin, how, how many people are you now? We are right about 500 now. So I think the group would love to hear what it's been like going from 10 to 500 in terms of leading that many people and yeah. the challenges and how you've had to change? So, yeah, I mean, I think, Steve, great question. Thanks for bringing it up. And, and, <laughs> I'm supposed to. It, yes, thank you. That, that's part of the session. Uh, it absolutely feels, okay, so you're constantly in interviews, right? And I think, uh, especially last year was complicated because we've, we brought on north of 200 people and we were a 200-person org. So we've doubled last year. And uh, that was extremely challenging given the environment mm -hmm. the entire business was in it. So that was a, I, I want to say probably thinking about scaling, scaling talent, especially when you're scaling fast and you need the experience. It's mm -hmm. very hard to hire and train because you have no programs, you have no processes mm -hmm. for training. You have to build all of those as well mm -hmm. over time. I think it's interesting when we take a look at where the world is today and at least the first two quarters, I think we'll be experiencing similar challenges from a perspective of being able to hire at the speed and the scale you want. Mm -hmm. 
the way the world is turning today, however, I think the back half of this year, some of that might start changing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of the early signals when we talk to, when at least when we talk to some of the general kind of investor pool or other, other CEOs, I think people are starting to take a look at what's going on you know, in the broader kind of economic scene and starting to understand what does that mean a quarter out, two quarters out. Mm -hmm. So even though it's been tough, and I think you as an organization have to build the right type of culture to be able to, and the structure to hire, I think six months out, nine months out, will be somewhat in a, in a different uh, scenario. You know, let's segue to that for a sure. second, if you don't yeah. mind. So I was, I was setting you up. I know, I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah. I, I can hit this one. Seema, you're in the banking community, yep. you do a lot of advisory work. What have you heard over the last quarter or two related to sort of, you know, the macroeconomic conditions, mm -hmm. the sort of the state of investors and or capital in the market and how people might be thinking about, you know, transactions even? Yeah. So, I mean, last year was crazy, right? We saw a ton of activity. I think people say it was a frothy market, right? Like people, there was so much pent up demand in terms of investment that it was kind of frantic. And I think now, you know, depending on your outlook in terms of, are we in a recession? Or are we going to be in a recession? You know, I think that there's a little bit more scrutiny around investments. In fact, you know, even kind of if a U.S. company is buying an international company, the exchange rate fluctuation mm -hmm. is impacting valuation, right? You put a valuation out there and you say, wait, you know, the dollar against the euro is 20% less. So I think it's a little bit more cautious. I don't think we're at the end. Like, I don't think it's completely, you know, exponential change. But it definitely is. The timing is feeling like there's a little bit more realistic expectations versus last year. Listen, I know that you have raised plenty of money in the past. I know that you're, you know, probably in that area again. Yeah. How are you thinking about it in terms of, you know, sort of conditions and, you know, what the needs are for Zappi? Well, I mean, I, I think there's an underutilized instrument in debt financing. We've yes, gotten yeah. a lot of traction from in the last several years. And if you're growing, that's a really useful vehicle. So yeah. you can keep your cap table relatively clean. But yeah, the, I think there's still money and they need to place investments, sure. but the valuations are not as insane as they mm -hmm. probably were six months ago. Yep. What's interesting to link it back to our first topic is what happens when a lot of the 15X multiple companies start missing numbers? Mm -hmm. I mean, what I've seen in the last year is engineers cost about 40% more and salespeople cost about 40% more. Is that sustainable if we enter into a little bit of a down market? I do market? worry about that. Yeah. I worry a lot. Like we're putting premium salaries out there and you know, you don't make numbers, we're gonna deal with a lot of unemployment or a lot yeah. of tough choices. Yeah. But I'll also say that, especially being a New York tech firm, my sellers' rents have doubled and quadrupled yeah. and tripled. Yeah, inflation's insane. And, and their student yeah. loans are crazy. And I'm like, you know what? Yes, these salaries seem very high, but mm. at the same time, their outgoings are incredibly high mm. also, mm. especially those that have stayed in Manhattan. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's all about performance, mm -hmm. right? I mean, For you sure. know, the investment's about performance, yep. the talent's about performance, you know, you're measuring against these mm. things. And ultimately, if it works, it's great. It's easy to pay yeah. and it's easy just to have success. If it doesn't, there's painful decisions that come with it. To your point, like if a business is performing now when things aren't just straight bull market, right. that's more attractive yeah. to somebody. Yes. They want yeah. to be part of that. Well, I think it's performance, but then there's this intangible thing of culture. And I think that's really hard <clears throat> to maintain as you go through. When times are really good, culture is a little bit easy because it's like sure. revenue mm -hmm. and money you know, yeah. solves all ails. But as you think about culture, potentially when things are tough, 
you know, how do you maintain that and how do you manage to it? For me, like that's the re so we have a 2.5% voluntary attrition, which I'm really proud of yeah. given the state of things. Sure. You just have to create a good environment, hire great people and treat them like adults. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm not telling you when to work and how right. to work and where to work. We're going to hire people that have skills that can be adaptable to change and ultimately provide them a good place to work. But if they decide that their career is best off somewhere else, th that's great. You're okay. It's yeah, all yeah, good. I mean, yeah. I think there's a shift in employment where perhaps in earlier generations, we felt as though our employees owed us something. Mm -hmm. I personally don't operate with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, they invest their time in me and I pay them for their service and yeah. it's a wonderful thing. And hopefully I, I can create an environment for them that they can grow. But ultimately, mm -hmm. I mean, I love seeing people go on to greater things. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's exciting. The other part I think about culture, Sima, is being able to communicate with your team, with your company, as these things start happening, right? So I think part of it is yeah. making sure you're constantly, very openly bringing the conversations that you're having across your leadership team, your board team, and be able to communicate that. Because I think the best way of really understanding and making sure that your organization, your culture mm -hmm. is being maintained is you can transparently talk about mm -hmm. some of these hardships that maybe are not here, but all right, we're potentially sitting back and thinking what might happen six months from now? Mm -hmm. What do we do now yeah. so that we're in a better situation to take care of all of our people, right, uh, six months from now? So how, are we, how do we make different decisions today and in the next quarter mm -hmm. that have a significant impact, you know, Q1 yeah. of next year? And I think it's not just about maintaining culture, but changing culture over time as yes. well. When I first started, we were a scrappy startup that nobody had even heard of before. And we've had to change. We've had to adapt. We're not a scrappy startup anymore. We have to have process. We have Jira ticketing systems. We have onboarding programs and expectations that need to be set. Um, whereas previously, it was a little scrappier. And so we've had to take people along that journey as like the culture is going to change. We are going to have to grow up. Mm -hmm. We can't just slack someone for help. We need a ticketing system. We need to make sure that we're following processes so we can scale. But no offense to the three of you, you have it easy. I mean, I have Which a three? business. Does anybody have a violin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a culture. You're right, Steve. I have a culture. I, I, I have a, with you. Yeah, I have a culture of 20 companies that are amalgamated together yeah. Yeah. that all came with a culture. And not one culture reigns. It's really the combination of all of them which creates a completely different dynamic, mm -hmm. bad or otherwise. I think it's, um, you know, I like, I, I like it, I love it. I, it's what I signed up for. It's complex. Uh, but it's complex and, and no different than, you know, when you're 10 people and then you're 500 or you're three or 400 versus less, it's different. But, you know, it's one of the things that I think you have to take really good care of. And there isn't one simple answer to yeah. it. It's different with every company that comes in. It's different with the types of people that stay and some that maybe don't stay. Um, and why that exists. And for me, I think the hardest part is, you know, I, as most leaders do, I take it personally. Yeah. You know, I want it to be successful. I want it to work. And when it doesn't work, it feels like a sense of failure. But I think most important is, you know, to figure out why it didn't work, mm -hmm. to understand what I could have done differently or how the company could have functioned differently, and then ultimately do it the next time maybe a little bit better. Here's a question. Have you ever turned down a deal because it wasn't a good cultural fit? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. That's how critical it is, right? Actually, the financials are good, good growth, whatever, yeah, good product, yeah. market fit, everything else. Culture is the number one criteria, yeah. actually. You know, culture and people are yeah. the number one criteria because if those don't work, it doesn't matter how good everything yeah. else is, it's going to fail. I think people underestimate that. Yeah. I think even, so it's public information now. We just submitted sure. an acquisition, but fundamentally, the number one thing we looked for and made sure existed was, was that ability to 
have shared values, the ability mm -hmm. to make sure that we can work with this team and this team can work with us, because it doesn't mean we're perfect, it's just, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we looked at a number of different companies and by far that was the one that made us feel a lot more comfortable about our future success. So it is, and you know, we're a newbie, Steve is an expert on this because mm -hmm. you've seen probably all different sides of this. <clears throat> But you talk to enough people and uh, you think about how you are able to add to your team by far people, right? Again, best teams win. Mm -hmm. I, I like what you say, Katie, though, because it's not about staying still. And I think culture fit is a really outdated term. Mm -hmm. So in all 20 of those acquisitions, there's something added to the Schlesinger mm -hmm. fabric, I would assume. That Absolutely. It changes a constant. So like anybody who thinks we're going to stay still, I mean... You're going to be in trouble. Right. <laughs> like so, so it's trouble. really about, I think it comes down to values. Yeah. A culture fit, right? It's really, do you have shared values? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How you work and how you behave and how you collaborate. And I think those are the things that really make, you know, every single one of Steve's acquisitions mm -hmm. uh, successful or not. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I did have one really bad one. And it was all a people culture thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Good batting Yes, <laughs> right? I'm fine right. with it. And I learned a lot from it yeah. too. So. Yeah. Let's talk about the industry. You know, I think on this stage, there's some debate about understanding respondent experience and do we care? Do we not care? Thoughts? Uh, since you want me to yeah, I'm going right for, I'm, I'm going supposed right to be the Ryan. provocator. Um, so I'm going to tell everybody a story. I, I was trying to get some uh, heads of insights to come and they said, I don't want to go and talk about sample. And I was like, wow, that sucks. Why? And they were like, I want to talk about first party data. I want to talk about connecting what people do with what they say. I want... And it was uh, an interesting insight for me because I have empathy for the tension of who are the people we're actually surveying? Yeah. Are they real? But on some level, it's like table stakes and we're still talking about mm -hmm. it. And so I think there's a lot of moves we need to make to make that not the conversation. Mm -hmm. But until it isn't, it isn't. But I mean, ultimately, the brands are expecting all of us to deliver high quality products to them that they can trust and make multi-million dollar decisions on. And so, I mean, one person was like, I'm not coming there to tell you how to govern getting the access to consumers who buy cheeseburgers. Like, right, I'm all right. set. Yeah. So I think that that's really interesting. And if we're still supporting 45-minute conjoint surveys, it's shame on us. Like, I mean, we can't be doing shit like that. Mm -hmm. People don't have attention spans for more than seven minutes mm -hmm. in this. And there's also a lot of other ways to make money on the internet than when we all started doing online sample in 2008 mm -hmm. or whatever it was, 99 even probably. So yeah, I have uh, empathy for both sides, but I think we have to execute some things quickly. Mm -hmm. But in the same breath, I mean, this industry defined representative sample as age, gender, and income. And you, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of data, like we're not getting African-Americans, we're not yeah. getting Hispanics. And so there's a huge problem there of some basic things mm -hmm. that it's, it, when you really open up the hood, it's like, oh crap, that's what's actually happening here. Yeah. And I'd agree with Ryan, having spent most of my career at panel companies selling to market research agencies to then dealing with brands directly mm -hmm. for the first, one of the first times in my career, they don't care about incidence rate, mm -hmm. they care about quality, but they assume you've taken care of it. Mm -hmm. That's why they're buying from you. So I haven't had a single conversation over CPIs or incidence rate or quality quality in almost two years now, to your point of representative sample, what they actually care about is, is this the buyers of my product? Yeah, and right. so we are talking a lot about more about segmentation, updating typing tools on a far more frequent basis. Mm -hmm. Segmentation work shouldn't take nine months and 15 minute long surveys to then find your segments that are probably out of date nine months later. It's about keeping that fresh and who today's buyers, how has that changed over the next quarter? And keeping that fresh um, as and, well. But, and, and the you, sample sizes you guys don't need to be 5,000 complete. But you either. guys manage, right? You have your mm -hmm. own panel. Yeah. So you manage the experience. So we care very much. We have two right. sides to the business. I think that's really important to know, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We have an audience team who takes care of that side, yeah. and but it's rare that the client asks. But we 
of course, have to take care of it. And we, we buy sample. Right. And the thing that makes me angry is 50% of our data science team's time is fighting bots mm-hmm. and liars. Oh, yeah. and, and it's like, I'd much rather be doing really advanced analytics, yeah. cool things with data, like, but I can't mm-hmm. because, because there's just a lot of noise. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a significant percentage of our cost base that's just policing all day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there are two categories. We th- think about customer experience or member experience or panelist experience. Mm-hmm. I think you have Susie's Zappies in the world, which probably represent 1% of the entire addressable market. And then you have... We'll change that, though, don't yeah, worry. Yeah. Ho- yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the market you look at. That's the idea. That's exactly what you're doing, right? Which mm-hmm. is great. And, you know, as a, at Suzy, your average question is, what, five questions, ten yep. questions? This is not... You control that. This, yeah. is, mm-hmm. this is not the rest of this world. So when we think about customer experience, I think a vast majority of member experience is atrocious. Mm-hmm. That's the, yeah. that's the, and this, I think this industry is, is shifting. You're seeing a lot of tech companies and you're seeing a lot of investments. But fundamentally, I think I was having lunch with a colleague and the industry is constrained by audience, Right. If you look at what, as a company, you're able to do, if you had 10 times, mm-hmm. 10x, 20x, 50x, example, you would, right? Any company would significantly improve their margins, be able to create better products, and be able to take to market a lot of innovative solutions. But bottom line is, it is constrained with audience, and that challenge is. <clears throat> Five, six years ago, when we were attending SampleCon, Mm -hmm. I was naive enough thinking it'll change. It's not going to change. It's really a, I think, for us, I think we think it's a supply-demand curve. As long as there is supply, demand doesn't really care. As soon as supply goes away, demand will care, meaning improving member experience, improving survey experience. Can I challenge you yeah. there? Yeah. So I think part of the reason, and I was just I talking to... Now it's getting real. I got a question. <laughs> about halfway through the cocktail now. Let's go. I was just talking to Andres Welch from NetQuest. Um, and I actually remember him being sat on this stage probably five years ago now, where he was talking about it's not a supply-demand problem. It's a trust in each other's data problem. So the reason that Susie can have a five to five to six question survey is because we don't ask age, gender, reach, ethnicity. We already know that information. And every single panel company yeah. has, when I worked at Synth, we had 300 data points yeah. per person. Correct. Yet, when we sent that person to any, uh, through an API or any other tool, once again, they asked age, gender, region, ethnicity, do you own a pet? Which is foods do you eat? Synth already knew that information. When I worked at Cluna, Cluna already knew that information. But we, so I think it's a trust between the data sets issue. We could have solved this problem a long time ago if we just transfer the data on the API. Yeah, except the difference yeah. is with okay. Suzy is that <laughs> now it's not right. It's that you sell to brands. You can mm-hmm. do that. Again, a vast majority of I think reading reports, whatever, the sample industry is roughly about a two to three billion dollar market size, right? Mm-hmm. That represents again probably point less than one percent of the industry. Mm-hmm. So at scale, the macro issue is that most companies that create solutions for people to share data, right? They don't interact with the brands directly. Hence, that will probably not change, you know, for a long period of time. And so it's an ecosystem issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the bottom line is you're still, right, I think the general, again, you look at Cent, who's the largest exchange and probably the gro- you know, global leader at this point mm-hmm. in all of this. The average conversion rate and LOI hasn't changed much. And if you ask an individual, what is the number one reason you leave? The number one answer is because I got disqualified from a mm-hmm. study. 
I was but, I saw but, Arian at uh, sorry just really quick I saw Arian from Pure Spectrum at IEX a few weeks ago and she actually showed me data that suggests LOIs are going down. Mm -hmm. It's slow, but they are going down yeah. from, at least from their exchange. Yeah. From, well, but the three yeah. of you guys have vertically vertically integrated, right? So you get to with your acquisition, you're with both brands. So you guys actually get to control that experience with uh, the brand. You're talking to the brands, you're saying what's acceptable, and then controlling the respondent experience in the ecosystem. Yes. There's a whole nother population that I think, Steve, you're dealing with as well, and that you can't necessarily control the survey experience with um, the respondent. And that's a huge part of the market, right? And That is a vast majority. Yeah. Of mm -hmm. Can I use the F word? Sure. Yes. Yeah. We're fucked. I mean, <laughs> if you really think about it, I mean, you're right. The end clients don't necessarily care. Um, but we all care yeah. because it's our lifeline. And um, it's really hard to make movement when the, the ultimate buyer has an expectation, which is absolutely accurate, yeah. and they should. Yeah. They should care about you know, quality, but they can assume that it's table stakes. But at the same time, we've got you know, no ability to police what we do as a, as a industry. Mm -hmm. Hence, you know, it's the Wild West out there, and you've got all different kinds of things happening. And you know, not for nothing, it's the people that matter. Without the respondents, we got nothing. Yep, yeah. So, you know, it's really, behold, thank you. <laughs> was, that, was, yeah. was, that, was that standing ovation? <laughs> it was sitting, but it was uh, a, a uh, sample uh, yeah. Uh, Yes, all right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that, you know, we've seen these topics come up in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a whole big run on this, and I think it was the maybe the 90s, early 2000s with Bob Letterer who came out and had all kinds of quality initiatives going with P&G and so on. And, you know, you can make an argument that we all should wake up a little bit mm -hmm. and really take this seriously because if those issues were being talked about then, think about the wear and tear on people today in terms of their time. Well, mm -hmm. Stephen, I'll give you a real issue. Recently, the Insights Association fought really hard to make sure a specific law does not pass in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? That makes it extremely hard for almost everybody in this room to function or, or do yeah, business. We're in it with you. Yeah. And so if we don't start actually taking care of this issue at an industry level, regulation will absolutely is around the corner. We're seeing it in multiple sure. different states, mm -hmm. right? And if we didn't pass this time, it'll pass a couple of years from now or whatnot. But mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is the average, right? Like even if you're paying 50 cents for 15 minutes, it doesn't scale. There is no unit economics that allows that to scale. And regulation, whether it's California or some other state, it's already starting to happen. Mm -hmm. So this is a much bigger issue that creates long-term kind of real risk that I think as an industry, we have to, we almost have to pay yeah. attention to. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. 
Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.